I think one of the coolest things about it is that even though I was our number one player that entire last year, I was the fourth best scorer in ACC's when we won. So like it was my teammates that had been the difference. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Stephen. We know a little bit about your mid-AM career. And where we start with every guest, though, is not where they are now, but how they got there. So let's start at the beginning. How'd you get into the game of golf? Yeah. So my dad is a golf pro at a private club in Florence, South Carolina. I grew up watching him. And my mom and dad actually met in a pro shop at Wild Inns Resort. So golf has always been a, a part of my life. You know, I got to watch my dad play at a very high level. My, my mom was a pretty good player and it was something that I really enjoyed doing. I initially kind of played more tournament tennis, competitive tennis growing up when I was younger, made the transition to competitive golf kind of around 12, 13, probably. And then just uh, saw that through until college and then now amateur, mid-amateur stuff. Did you always envision yourself becoming an elite mid-amateur golfer or were you dreaming of playing on the PGA Tour as a kid? Yeah, I'm a little unique in that, I think. I, you know, I remember playing, playing at Clemson was a great experience and it definitely gets you to surround yourself with some of the best players and uh, see what PGA Tour good really looks like. I kind of realized my fifth year, I stayed for my fifth year of college and really was like, you know, I already had my degree. And I thought about getting like a master's, but I ultimately decided I had felt like I had less than golf stuff on the table just because I'd been working hard academically, trying to be social, trying to do golf and just trying to do everything. And once I had my degree and a lot of my really good friends had left, it gave me that last year to be like, all right, you know what? I'm content with my degree. I'm just going to go all in and golf and let's just see how good I can get. And my ambition was never really to play pro. Like I just, I felt like I wanted to just achieve what I felt like my potential was. And then, you know, if I find myself winning tournaments and like beating guys that I think are tour caliber, then I'll cross that road when I get there. I realized that I had a great last year, very proud of how I played, but I felt like I was getting everything out of it and was still like a 25th player in the country, like still really solid and like something that I'm very proud of. But like, I just realized that like, if I'm playing against John Rahm or Colin Morikawa or, um, who are other guys? I have my all American plaque here. I mean, like I had Maverick McNeely, Bo Hostler, John Rahm's first team. There's just a lot of guys that like, I'm just not going to beat them. Like they are just way above me. And I had a good, I had worked really hard academically to put myself in a position to have a good job. And I knew that if I would have tried to go pro and not make it, all of that would have kind of been for nothing a little bit. And so I was just like, you know, what? I don't know if my drive's there. I've had some injuries. I don't think I have the potential. So let's just try to play amateur golf and do well in business. And I did kind of believe that I would be a, a force on the mid-am tour. I had the inner belief that I could be one of the best, but you know, there's still a lot of great players, and I still feel like I still have a lot of 
things to do before I'm like really proud of my finished product. So it's, it's all fun. You talk about a lot of the players you played against and thinking, you know, maybe I'm not tour caliber. I actually remember, I'm not making this up. I remember my grandfather, I don't remember who specifically talked about you. I got into golf late. I don't, and so I didn't know a lot of who, who was who out there, but I can remember my grandfather lived up in Michigan and I think it was 2010. They had that tournament over at Egypt Valley. I think it was the U.S. Yes, Junior, Junior Am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my grandfather was looking at the scores in the newspaper and said, dang, these guys are tearing it up. And then talked about a few of the guys up there. And I think in the first day in the lead, it was you, Jordan Spieth, and Wyndham Clark, which is good company to be in. At that point in time, were you also thinking, you know, maybe I'm not as good as these guys or did something happen through college that made you change your mind? I felt like Wyndham and I were about the same. We would finish similar. Like I felt like, but you could tell Wyndham like had a fifth year, you know, like he, he was more like a, a Porsche where like he had the firepower, he had the speed, he had tour tools. And then Spieth, there was like no doubt that this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like even when we were 16, like it was just like, this guy's just performing so much above everyone else that like when he made it on tour and won the John Deere and then started winning majors, like he did that within like three or four years of high school and college, like, you know, what, you know, not that far removed. And it was just like, it wasn't really that surprising because his he was just a different animal on all parts of golf. And then, uh, you know, Wyndham obviously took advantage of his potential too and has become a major champion. So that's been pretty cool to see. He's a good dude too. I like, I like Wyndham a lot. That's cool to hear. And as far as like that point in time, I think you were 17 and uh, you had committed to Clemson at that point. Tell us a little bit about your junior career and how you ended up going to Clemson? You know, I, I, I grew up in Florence. And my dad went to College of Charleston and played golf at College of Charleston. My mom is an Auburn graduate, so I didn't have like a heavy, heavy South Carolina Clemson. Like, I felt like I was pretty neutral and like my parents were very supportive of me going wherever I wanted. With the scholarship situation in golf, I think you get like three and a half scholarships for the whole team. So like getting a really big scholarship offer out of state is pretty rare and um i realized pretty yeah i visited wake forest and i visited auburn but i realized that you know the scholarship it was going to be a lot more expensive for me to, to go out of state and state and so once i narrowed it down to in-state I, I visited south carolina i visited Clemson, i visited Furman, visited walford called in charleston ultimately i think it came down to Furman and Clemson were probably the two colleges that I could see myself at the most. And I was really close to committing to Furman because I knew that if I went to Furman, I'd be, I'd be getting playing time like right when I got there. And Clemson is a whole different animal. And like, I knew there's a lot of good players there and like the margin of being on the bench versus being in the lineup is just so thin that I was a little wary of that. But once I went to Clemson, I was just like, you know, even if I ride the bench here, like, I just feel like the school will be the most fun and I'll get the most out of it and I'll have the best college experience. So ultimately, that's what drove me to go to Clemson. And I, I didn't really foresee myself having the success in college golf that I ended up having. 
but I, I love Clemson and love my time there. What were some of the things that you learned along the way that helped you have that success as a college golfer? Uh, good question. I would say, so just giving some, some background. So I, I go to Clemson and like, in my mind, I was a pretty big, like a high recruit. And I kind of went in there with the mindset, you know, I, I'd won like state junior. I'd won some of the big state events. I had been a AJGA second all second team all American, I think. And so like I went in with the mindset of I'm going to contribute here. Yeah, I'll, I'll get in the lineup. I'll get in the lineup. And I had some injuries when I first got there. And then you kind of have to go through the whole mental building process of like, you have to re earn your reputation all over again, you know, cause it's, you're, you go from being the top, top dog in South Carolina junior golf to then going to a college where there's seniors on a team and you're a freshman and you got to prove yourself to them. And, um, I remember that was a struggle. I ended up redshirting my freshman year, which I thought was a really, at the time, I was really upset. I had to really like gain confidence in myself again and like prove myself through hard work that, you know, this isn't going to be easy. And I, I think I barely made it through the first qualifier for that first tournament of my second year, my redshirt freshman year. And I go to the tournament and I finished fourth in the tournament behind. I think uh, Brandon Stone won the tournament from Texas. Spieth came in second. Georgia's number one player came in tied for second with Spieth. And then I think I was fourth. So like I came out of the gates really strong, which was like a really unexpected surprise. And that uh, it was big for me to have that success right out the gate because then I could just, uh, I felt like at that point I had proven my ability and knew that I could just keep it going. You mentioned that that first year you had redshirt. The first six months or so, you had that injury. Tell us a little bit about the injury and kind of the toll it took on you. And then also you had qualifying in the spring. I think you guys had a Puerto Rico tournament you guys were going to qualify for. Tell us about that qualifying as well. Yeah. So in the fall, you get there. I was hitting, we were on the range and we were all just trying to like, you know, do long drive contests or whatnot. And I remember one swing with driver um, in my back, I pulled my lap kind of close to where it was to like my ribs almost back here. And I could just tell like it went completely out or tore or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, like I, I knew right away that I did something bad. And at the time, you know, I thought it would just be like something that would recover over a week, if that. Because everyone, you know, back, back things are weird to where they'll be fine the next day or two. But this was something that I realized after a couple of weeks, like this is going to be a tough recovery. And, um, there for about, I didn't swing a club for about three months and it took me until the spring season to really start swinging full at it again. But I'd gotten my, to the point where I was swinging full at it and started feeling better about my back and my game in the spring. And we had the qualifier for the first qualifier for Puerto Rico, the first tournament. And everyone wants to go to Puerto Rico. Right. So that's just an added incentive. But I remember I was leading the qualifier going to the last day and just like anyone's capable of doing. I, I just put too much pressure on myself, got in my own way, played really poorly the last day of qualifying and didn't win it. And looking back, it was a blessing in disguise. But at the time, it was pretty, pretty brutal. I was uh, pretty upset. And then I, I ultimately made the decision since I didn't qualify for that to redshirt the rest of the year 
but that enabled me to stay that last year and to really have all the th- great things that happened on the tail end. So that was, it was all a blessing in disguise. That qualifier for Puerto Rico said you got in your own way. You were, uh, put a lot of pressure on yourself. Not a lot of people can be, or I should say plenty of golfers can be not very, not many of them are honest or circumspect, or at least, uh, provide insight to people on what that looks like. So if you wouldn't mind for us though, tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you getting your own way. What kind of pressure were you, were you putting on yourself? And then how did it feel slash manifest itself during the round? Golf is one of those weird things to where it's, it's not like other sports to where the higher your effort, it's not a linear line of effort and performance, you know, and football, I feel like if you just give it everything you got, you're going to perform. The more you put into it, the better your results are going to be. And golf, unfortunately, it's just like, there's a certain level you've got to try enough and you've got to care about it, but there's a certain level to where you feel like I have to do this. I have to hit this good shot. I have to make this pot. Prevents, it gets you playing tight and prevents you from playing free and hitting your best shots. And so I just remember that whole day trying to get very, I got very out of like my normal personality. I got what I thought was me getting locked in, but it was really me just gripping the club a little harder, trying to just thinking about results constantly, thinking about my score constantly instead of like just taking a breather, being yourself, committing to the process of what do I got to do to execute the shot mentally, physically, what am I trying to do with the club to hit, hit the ball where I want it to go? Like, I was just focused on all the results to us. And when you do that in golf, you know, bad things happen. And uh, that's what happened to me that day. Would you say that today being a mid-am and having a full-time job outside of golf helps you have that perspective where you don't try too hard? It definitely helps. I mean, there's still days where I feel like I get in my own way because we all, we all want to win tournaments and we all want to have success and be one of the best. But it definitely helps knowing that mid-am golf one, it's just like a great group of guys. Like it's just a good camaraderie of really cool guys who all have different backgrounds and we all acknowledge that we're doing it because we chose to do this and it's like, it's fun for us and this is our outlet outside of work and life and all that. And so I think just the general vibe of these tournaments is much more relaxed, which I think helps. And then knowing that, hey, yeah, my, my well, well-being is not impacted by me hitting a good shot here or me making this putt. And so when you know that going into it, it is easier to just be like, all right, let's just go out and see if we can have a good round and try to do our best. And if it doesn't, it's all good. So yeah, mid-end golf definitely doesn't carry the same weight that pro golf does. I think that's something that's dead on the nose. I don't play high-level mid-end golf, but once I got out of college, once I had a job and played golf, everything like bad days happen, but like I have on this last Saturday was playing terrible ball was going a million miles every direction. And I kind of knew it was going to happen going to that day. It had a few issues, but I was out there. It was like, huh, whatever. Like I wrap up today, I go home, hang out with my wife, hang out with my kid. And I go to work on Monday. Like it's all, it's all the same. And so you want to, I want to be better. I want to be good, but it, it takes a little bit of that pressure off. You kind of actually to do you get more in touch with reality 
And going back to your qualifiers, all right, so that, that first year wraps up. Second year, uh, you come in fourth in that first tournament, and you're with a pretty strong squad there. How did that uh, feel then? And then what happened kind of the rest of your college career? Walk us through a little bit of those years. Yeah, so I think, so Clemson has a very good history in college golf. You know, you know going there that you have a, a big, big shoes to fill. You have a passionate fan base. And once I finished fourth there in that tournament, we had, and I'm acknowledging this, we were, we did not have a good team by Clemson standards. We, it was kind of a low point. We were right much lower than what our average is. And, you know, I think we were probably 30th or 40th in the country, which isn't good for us. And I knew once I finished fourth there that I was going to be, I needed to be one of the leaders on the team, which I think helped me to keep my work ethic up. You know, I, I knew I had a responsibility at that point to let's keep on riding out this wave and I'm I'm going to be a contributing factor here for the rest of the, this fall season and hopefully, you know, the rest of the year. And so I think that helped, that helped keep me sharp. Uh, luckily, you know, I, I went that freshman year and had some other highlights too, but had some things that I could learn from, but I ended up being our, our team's MVP with the lowest stroke average my freshman year. Carried that into my sophomore year and was MVP my second year. Uh, and then my third year, I think I played well. and I, I think I'd still improved my stroke average, but just some of our other, my other teammates started playing really well too. And we were, we were on the up, like every year we were improving in ranking. And I think I maybe finished third or fourth in stroke average my third year, had the lowest stroke average I had ever had. And then that's my last year was the one that I told you, you know, I, I sent everything in and I felt like I had potential that I hadn't reached yet. And that last year, I, I stayed at Clemson over the summer. I wanted to gain distance. I wanted to like work on my strength and my body. And so like I stayed over the summer and hit the gym really hard. I practiced really hard. and was like, I'm going to treat this like I called it my PJ tour year. Like this is my PJ tour year. And and then that last year, you know, I was just really in like my, my teammates too. I was almost like part-time coach. I would make sure that they were always at practice and that they were buying in. Cause I was like, guys, I didn't come back, you know, for us to be an average team. Like if, if I'm putting in this work, we are going to win the ACC championship. Oh, and that, that really was the motivating factor. So let me back up. So my third year my redshirt junior year, we go to ACCs and the ACC was stacked. Like Florida State was ranked number one. Georgia Tech was ranked like number three. Like Virginia Tech was ranked like number five. Like basically winning the ACC was almost like winning a national championship based on the field you were beating. And we were projected to finish like seven. Like we were the seventh highest ranked team. And we played awesome that week. And I remember being on like number... 12 or 13 T and they had a leaderboard up there and we were leading by like four shots and it kind of spooked all of us, I think. And some of the other great teams that were behind us kind of caught up, but we ended up a few of us birdied 18 and we got into a sudden death playoff with uh, Georgia tech and Florida state who was ranked number one, like missed a five footer on the last hole to get into playoff too. So we're in this now and we can win ACC. Then we're, I'm already, at the tail end of my career, 
thinking, you know, this is it. Like we could go out and win this thing and this could be like a great way to ride out my Clemson career. And I striped a drive in the playoff. I hit it. Three wood. We all play five players play and you take the top four scores and it's par five. And I go for it in two, get it over there right of the green, ship it up to like five feet. And I knew that if I make that five footer, there was a good chance we were going to make it because some of the Georgia Tech guys in our group have all par. And I had like a four footer and just like put an awful stroke on it and missed it. We ended up tying that first hole, went to a second hole, and they beat us on the second uh, sudden death hole. So like, I felt awful because like I knew that that was my chance to like validate my spot in Clemson golf, like my legacy. And when I missed that pod, it was just like brutal. And, and so I was like, you know what? I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be known as that guy who had that chance and missed that pot. And so that's, that was the motivating factor for me to come back. Um, and I told those guys like, we're going to go back and we're going to win ACCs. And so that, that was my motivation. And a lot of Bryson Nemer, one of the freshmen who was a key part of that, we ended up winning the ACCs, by the way, would beat Wake Forest who had. Cam Young, they have Wills Altoris. We beat them by 15 and uh, and won that last year, which was uh, a good redemption story. And I think one of the coolest things about it is that even though I was our number one player that entire last year, I was the fourth best scorer in ACCs when we won. So like it was my teammates that had been the difference. It wasn't me just carrying everyone else on my back. Like it was my teammates. And I think that just goes to show like everyone bought it and everyone was in it together. And the camaraderie on that team that, that last year was something that I'm still proud of to this day. It's a special bond when you can have a group of guys, have a mission and go out and get it done. As far as the preparation for that year goes, you'd said, Hey, this is my PGA tour year. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to hit the ball farther. Tell us a little bit about what that process looked like for you over that summer and then through the season as well. Well, I uh, I knew that distance was something that was a weakness for me. And so I wanted to go all in with like my nutritionist and my trainer there at Clemson. And I was like, what? I'm, I'm going to try to pick up muscle big time. Like, what do I need to be eating? What do I need to be? And we got on a program where I was working out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I was just trying to eat as much Chipotle double meat as possible and just go in there and just really for about an hour and a half on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, just give it everything I got and go really heavy for the first time. I'd never really done that. And I didn't play tournaments really that entire summer. Um, I just wanted to simply focus on let's just get my body in a good spot and let's take off tournaments and then I'll be ready for the fall and I'm going to practice really hard. My trainer was a huge part of that. And we got, I was about 165 and I got myself up to 180. It was like maybe a little mini Bryson DeChambeau project, but it was before DeChambeau. So, you know. And then as far as the practice, you know, it was just putting together a plan of what, instead of just going out there and killing hours, it's like, I'm going to have a good plan of how am I going to approach practices that will translate to better tournament golf like instead of just going out and putting maybe like establishing drills that I'm working on or certain things to work on path and 
making sure my start lines are good and my alignment's good, like going out there and treating it like a professional would instead of just going out there and just dropping balls and trying to hit pots, you know? So I think I just put in a whole new level of structure when it came to my practice. I put in a whole new commitment when it came to my physical working out nutrition and I put in the hours and I worked harder than I've ever worked before. And once, once the tournaments came around, it was amazing how much better I handled the pressure knowing that I had put all the work in. And at that point, I didn't feel like, at that point, I felt like I just needed to, I had done the hard part and it was just then just going through what I had trained so hard on. It's funny you mentioned yourself as a mini Bryson uh, because your swing doesn't perfectly resemble his, but it's more like it than it isn't. Tell us a little bit about your swing, your swing coach, if you've had one and how it's developed over the years. Yeah, so I have a pretty unique setup. I'd say my swing is somewhat unique, but more so my setup is what gets the attention. Um, a lot of people have said it looks like DeChambeau or it looks like Mo Norman. I've gotten Mo Norman a lot with the high hands and it looks like the club is kind of an extension of my arm. You know, there's, but I remember playing with Bryson in college. I got to play with him 36 holes in one day in Augusta, Georgia. We were playing at four cells and uh, I remember, and he hadn't made it big. He was a great player at that point, but he hadn't had the success that he was about to have. And he was still pretty skinny, but although he was a big frame. Like he was a tall, tall dude, and you could tell that the frame was there for him to pick up all that weight. But yeah, I remember just playing with him and seeing his swing was very similar to mine. Spieth, I also have gotten to play with Spieth before, and like I feel like Spieth's old swing and eyes was a little similar. I always felt like I played good when I played with Spieth because I could kind of watch his rhythm, and I felt like it gave me a good mental image for my swing. Um, as far as my swing instructor my dad's really been my only teacher and it it was never a formal instructing relationship it was just dad and I would just go out and play he could pick up on if I was struggling I'd ask him for pointers and he'd give them to me but it was more so he and I would just go out and play and I've, I've always just kind of been self-taught besides my dad relying on him for certain things and I think that's helped because at the end of the day I think you can overthink some of the swing stuff and it's helped me just keep things simple and um, I know my swing at this point, you know. Do you do much swing work now or do you just basically structure your practices around playing? I'd say 95% of my golf now is just playing. I do know my tendencies in my swing. Like I know if I haven't played in a while, my tendencies to get long and across the line and a little steep coming down. So like, and then I know when I'm playing a lot, my tendency is to kind of get laid off and get too inside coming down so like at this point i'm not surprised and i kind of know how to manage it and no there's not a whole lot of swing changes going on uh with me anymore tell us a little bit about uh your practice slash play routine tell us first off i don't think we've ever asked about a job outside of golf but tell us a little bit about what your job is right now what that entails and then how you're able to make golf work around it yeah so i work for sap they're a big global software company. You might recognize them from RDLs. He's one of our big ambassadors, has it on his hat. I have like a, a strategy, reporting, sales ops role with them. So I'm 
long story short, I'm essentially looking at deals that we get involved and looking at the deals we win, the deals we lose, and trying to make us perform better as a company. Um, it's kind of like golf and the fact of, you know, if you look at your stats, how can I improve as a golfer? So uh, I'm analytical by nature and so it's a good setup for me. But as far as how I make it work with golf, it's a great job for that because I have a very virtual job. I work from home a lot. I do go into the office some here in Atlanta just to uh, crank some stuff out and to make face and see people from the office. But I have a global role, so it's I can work from anywhere. So that's helped make it easier. And then just everyone at SAP has been very supportive with my golf and likes that I pursue it. And I, I like to think that it helps me in work too because if you're if you're constantly putting yourself in tournaments and putting yourself and high pressure situations, it translates over into if we have a big meeting, being able to deliver and execute under pressure in your meeting too. So it's um it's been a good place. I've, I've really enjoyed working for SAP. That's one of the things that I thought to again. I didn't play that high level of golf, but one of the things I thought going from playing competitive golf, playing basketball to law school or to college to law school. And then to the job environment, I was like, man, this is so much easier than golf ever was because with golf, you know, you're trying to control a white ball when you're swinging a club head at a hundred plus miles per hour. Whereas all I have to do in my job is use my brain and my brain's with me all the time. And it's usually, it's, it's usually functioning pretty fine. So it's cool that you've had that experience too. You mentioned that you're analytical by nature. And you like to focus on stats. And I can tell you that's something that I like a lot. And I think Cooper likes it some. As far as like what you look at and trying to get the most out of your performance now, tell us a little bit about what you're looking at now. And then also maybe what you did more in college. Yeah, in college, we had more a more robust system. You know, we logged every all our stats all the time into a platform and really analyzed them. Now, I don't quite put as much into it. It's more so just like self-reflection. You know, if I'm on the way back from a tournament, thinking about certain really good shots that I hit, what did I do on those certain shots that didn't, I didn't pull off and what could I have done differently to um, execute it? So a lot of it now is just like mental self-reflection. And that's ultimately what it's all about. You know, I feel like, to win a golf tournament, it comes down to just hitting a few key shots and and the course of the round that gives you the momentum to keep going. And like if you execute when it matters and hit those key shots that turns the momentum, you can win the tournament. And then if you fold under those high pressure situations, like it you'll finish tenth, you know, and it's just like a lot of it is just uh how can I be ready that next time to hit the shot that I want to under the pressure. I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit about your tournament schedule and you recently won the crump cup and for people who may not know that's the mid amateur event that they hold each year at pine valley and i'd just like you to talk about you know not only what it's like to play those type of golf courses but to play those type of golf courses under elite competition and lots of pressure yeah so i um as far as my schedule i play in about eight tournaments a year i'd say I try to spread them out to where I play about one every month from about March until October. 
just with work so I can manage that. But uh, yeah, it's good. It gives me motivation to practice. I play in a blend of play a few uh, Georgia State Golf Association tournaments. So like State Mid-Am, State Am. I play and I try to qualify for the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Mid-Amateur every year. And then I, I like to play in the Mid-Am Invitationals now. So, you know, the crop, uh, which has been awesome. I played in the Coleman this year, which was a surreal, surreal experience at uh, Seminole. So that was really cool. But there's a lot of other great ones too. You know, there's the Lupton at the Honors Course. There's Birmingham, the National Invitational at Birmingham, which is an awesome one. And in regards to how it feels to play these places, it's it's really cool. It's a it's a very lucky feeling. Like I feel like I'm very fortunate to be in the fraternity that has invited me to play in these things. And to win the crump, I mean, like, if you would have told me that I would be playing in the crump at Pine Valley when I was 29 years old, when I, you know, I'm a kid from Florence, South Carolina, and my dad's a head golf pro, and to play in the tournament is an honor, you know, and that place is just spectacular. Like, it it lives up to the hype in every way, and uh, when I got there, I was just like, let's just enjoy this unreal experience. Like, you're super lucky to be here. And then I got, I got out there and started playing it, and I was like, this place is perfect for my game. Like, you have to be accurate. You have to drive it on a string. And that's kind of my my strength is I can tee up driver and feel like I can hit it down a hallway, every, you know, when it, especially when I'm playing good. And out there, you can get spooked. If you're if you're not super confident off the tee, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of guys will just hit irons to try to get it in play. And so... When I'm able to hit driver off the tee when other people are hitting irons, I can suddenly make my weakness of driving distance into my strength because now I'm playing a shorter course than they are. And I've realized once I played a couple of rounds out there, I was, you know, I, th- I think I can, I think I'm playing good enough to win this thing. And I just took it one match at a time. And to our earlier question, I, under the key moments, I hit the shots that I needed to because I, in the in my quarterfinal match, my semifinal match, and the finals, I feel like there were a few key shots that I hit each time. I could have lost all three of those matches, and I just I performed at the right time to turn the momentum to get each match to go in my favor. And that's what you got to do to to win. And so to win that tournament now and have my name in the clubhouse, pretty pretty cool feeling. That is awesome. With eight tournaments a year, you're playing in. That's for maybe the average, like if I wasn't a competitive golfer and I was listening, like, oh, eight, eight seems like a lot. But, you know, as a college player, you play probably four in the spring, four in the fall at least. And then you also might have regionals and then nationals. Then you have your summer schedule, which you might have five or six tournaments, depending. And then you might play two or three over the winter if you can try to get to some warm place. What's it like playing in? tournaments now where you you don't have that same schedule you might have a little bit more rust on you than you did before and how do you try to keep that rust off or mitigate the consequences of that rust to your point in college you're practicing all the time and you're playing 20 events a year and so i do think that let's say you take a week off in college 
you like get back and you are a little bit more mentally fragile because that's like you're not used to taking off a week. And so I feel like that bother messes with you a little bit. But like in Midam golf, you know, with lice and just work and everything, taking two weeks off without touching a club anymore is not that's not rare. And so like I think there's a whole new just comfortability being comfortable with like taking two two weeks off and like going back out there and being like I've played enough golf to still play okay you know this is kind of like riding a bike at this point I might not be super sharp and I might hit a couple bad shots today but it's like you know you just know that going into it and I I, so I but I feel like having that comfortableness of not playing as much anymore works in your favor a little bit with mid-am golf to where you don't put the pressure, you don't have the expectations, and you just handle it better than you did in college. That's mentioned being 29, your brain's more fully formed than it was at 22. So that, does, that doesn't hurt either, I can imagine. We, had, we don't normally often ask hypotheticals, but I think it would help people I mean, at least be interesting. You know, a lot of people that I talk to who don't play too competitively golf are delusional in the sense that they don't realize the difference between a PGA Tour player and maybe a guy a level down, a guy three levels down. And same thing can happen in all sorts of areas. So tell us a little bit about kind of where, if you if you had objectively evaluate yourself, which it sounds like you have your feet on level ground, you don't hate yourself too much and think you're terrible, you don't love yourself too much and think that you're a god among men, where do you think relative to like a college player, like if you were to go back and play college right now and put a little bit more time, like they would, where do you think that you would be as a college player? And where do you think you would be like professionally to as far as where you feel your skill level would be? This will come across as me thinking that I'm probably not giving myself enough credit here, but I think I would be a worse college golfer now than I was eight years ago. Fact that the game now is getting more and more athletic and more built on speed and distance to the point where if you don't have it, I think you're at a big disadvantage because the equipment now has gotten to the point where it can handle the speed. And so I think that if you don't have the speed, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball. And so I think the more and more, as more and more time goes, I think the more it works against me. I always said I'm. A, I think I was one generation too late of uh, playing on the PGA Tour and being one of the best in the world. Like I feel like if we're all playing with persimmons and playing with Pilatas, like I think I've got a chance. But just being honest with myself, I think it's such even now because I see it with amateur golf, the tournaments I play now versus when I was at college. It's just so much more of a power game. And like college guys now, I, I'm hitting it just as far, if not further, than I've ever hit it. And college guys now are hitting it 50 by me. And that's like not unusual. And I'm not that short, you know, like I still get it out there pretty good. But those tour guys, people just don't realize how far they hit it. Like, I think I think the driving distance stat on tour is misleading because they're only measuring a couple holes uh, during the day. And I'm I'm almost positive that like if you asked the PJ tour guys, you'd be like, go full throttle on this one, I feel like 90% of those guys could carry it 
300 uh, if they wanted to. And I think those longest guys, they hit it like 340, 350. And so I, I don't think I have the game and it's just working against me with time. But that's where I feel like it, I stand now versus, versus them. A couple of years ago, there was, it was during coronavirus. They had a tour called the local IQ tour. It was a replacement for the Canada and Latin America tour. And uh, you got an opportunity to compete in one of those events at your home course, I believe. And you actually finished top 10. And there's a lot of guys that played in that event and on that tour that are on Corn Ferry now. Some may be on the PGA Tour. And um, what was it like, you know, competing in that event? And what was your thought process going into that? Yeah, Alex Smalley was in that. He finished one spot ahead of me in fourth. I think he just finished like second in the John Deere this past week. And then J- Justin Suh finished like tit in that tournament. And he's been crushing it this year. But and I finished sixth. Granted, it was on my home course, which helps a lot. That was a cool experience. You know, the, the owner of our club gave me a sponsor's invite to play in that. So thanks thanks to Mr. Kenny on that one. And I went into it with an open mind of just like, this is a cool experience. I feel like I've played this place a thousand times and feel like I can play this course, you know, just as well as anyone. Because out there, it's it's a placement golf course. So I knew the greens better than anyone. I knew that the distance discrepancy wouldn't be a huge factor. And so if you, if you give me those two things, I feel like I can compete. And so it was fun to play well that week and to get myself in the mix. And then one of my college teammates, Bryson number one, and then Carson Young, who's been playing great on tour this year, also one of my college teammates, who was on that ACC Both of them were on that ACC team where we won the last year. For them to finish first and fourth and me finish sixth, that was a, that was a party for us after. That is awesome. It's it's cool to see how that played out. I mean, you you talked about your prediction as to where you stood relative to people, but also the the stats show you can still hit the ball around pretty decent. Tell us tell us very quickly. You know, you talked about driving distance. You say the guys who, if PGA Tour guys wanted to get it three hundred carry, they could. I think. I mean, I think that's spot on. I think PGA Tour club head speed average is one fourteen. I think you only need one fifteen, one sixteen and a few good launch conditions to be able to get that 300 carry. Tell us kind of what your club head speed is. Because you say, you know, I'm not as long as the AMs I'm playing with. What's your club head I think speed I'm like right 107. Now? So I get it. My efficiency is really good. Like, I feel like I get it out there really far from my speed. But, you know, I probably carry it 275 and get it out there 290. Very cool. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. The last question we ask every guest is the same, which is, if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? It would be to just enjoy it, enjoy the ride, get as good as you can at golf, and enjoy the process of just trying to get better and like love the competition and just like buy into the great thing that golf is. like, And just let college and everything, you know, it's, it's good to dream big, but just like let that stuff happen. Cause like at the end of the day, just focus on enjoying golf, becoming better at it, enjoying the time with your friends. Cause at the end of the day, when that's what will make you be the best golfer. And then that's what will make you the most gratified when you're older is like the friendships you built. How much fun. That is true. Well, we appreciate it. If people are trying to find you on social media 
et cetera. Where can they find you, reach out to you, ask you any more questions? Sure. Have? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram. My handle's the same on both. It's at Asper Jr. J-R for Jr. So yeah, feel free to, hopefully y'all enjoyed some of the insight and, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation and hopefully uh, people get a kick out of it. Excellent. Be sure to give Stephen a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament call.